0: Okay. Well, once again, welcome. Uh, welcome to RUF. Welcome to Large Group. Uh, like I said, my name is Jonathan. I'm the, uh, I'm the campus pastor with RUF here. A little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Colorado. Uh, grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and then I went to um, New York City, of all places, for my undergraduate, and then um, moved to—well, uh, I worked for RUF for two years in New York City. That was a crazy experience. And then um, moved to St. Louis, Missouri for my uh, my graduate school degree. Met my amazing wife, Caroline, there. Um, Some of you guys know Caroline. Some of you don't. Um, If you haven't heard, to you freshmen, this isn't big. But uh, my wife is expecting. We're expecting our first baby in March. Yeah. So um, she's not here tonight because she's pretty sick with morning sickness. That's in the evening. (laughs) Um, So she really wanted to be here. She sends her love. And, uh, y'all, she really wants to get to know you new students, um, but, so she'll be here in the future. Um, but if you think of it, think of her, send good thoughts her way, pray for her. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, we moved here in uh, December, and uh, we've, we've been so thrilled to be in Las Cruces and at New Mexico State. So um, that's a little bit about me. Once again, I'd love to get coffee with you. Uh, I'd love to get to know you more. Um, so let's make that happen if you're interested. Uh, welcome to Large Group. Wonder some of you are probably wondering what in the world you've just stumbled into. Uh, What is this thing? Uh, I'm really glad you're here. I'd love, like I said, to get to know you personally. I'd love to get to know you, but um, let me try and break down a little bit about what's going on here. What is Ruf? What is large group? What are we doing here? Um, Well, Ruf is a Christian ministry uh, of New Mexico for New Mexico State University. and uh, we want to we want to be open to everyone. Everyone who comes through those doors, we want to say you can have a place where you belong here. Christian, non-Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, not sure what you believe, definitely sure that you're not a Christian. We want you to have a place where you can say, yeah, I can belong here. I can have well, I can I can I can have dialogue about faith and spirituality and about who Jesus is. Um, And what we say often about RUF, we say we want to be a rest stop for weary Christians and a a safe place for skeptics. A rest stop for weary Christians and a safe place for skeptics. That means if you're coming in here tonight as a Christian, you're like, man, I'm tired. I don't even know if I want to be a Christian in college. That was maybe high school. And I don't know if I want to do that in college. We want this to be a place where you can do that, where you can be tired, where you can rest, where you can ask questions about your faith. And maybe you're not sure Maybe you're not sure what you believe about God or what you believe about faith and spirituality and who Jesus is. We also want you to be welcome here. We want to ask hard questions about faith. We want to see if there's answers out there. So um, bring those questions in here. Bring them to me. Bring them to this group. Um, And we would love to have a conversation. That's what an academic institution is for, is having a, a conversation about ideas. We want to have that conversation around our faith around who Jesus is. Um, So I hope this can be a place where you don't feel pressure to measure up, where you don't feel the pressure to be a certain thing. Um, I know everybody says that, but I really, truly hope that that can be true for RUF. Um, So uh, ask hard questions, maybe around coffee. Ask me hard questions um, about kind of anything, and we'll try and figure it out together. Um, So this semester, we're going to be working through a book of the Bible, um, because we think that the Bible is a really special book, um, and we're going to be working through a book of the Bible by um, a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. He was an apostle who wrote letters to churches a long time ago, around 2,000 years ago. And um, what we're going to look at this semester, we're going to look at a topic about called joy. We're going to, look at, we're going to think about joy all semester long. You can see up here, um, we're going to talk about the idea of keeping joy. How do we get joy? How do we keep joy? And, and why, why do I want to do that? Why do I want to talk about joy? Because I think both anecdotally, from my own personal experience, and sociologically, around us on college campuses, college campuses are joyless places. College campuses are places where people are depressed, where people are anxious, where people are lonely all around America. So one, this is, this is some, some socio- sociological facts. These are these are just true statements. One in two college students will be depressed at some point in their college. One in two. That means this half of the room, if that's true, will struggle with depression at some point. One in ten students will have a suicidal ideation. Maybe that's been you at some point in your life. I know it's been me at some point in my life. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, they're everywhere. Maybe, again, you've You've taken those in the past. And this is really interesting. In January, this last January at Yale University in Ivy League, like, like the top university, in, one of the top universities in the world. You'd think he'd made it there. They had a class called Psycho- Psychology 157. And the class was titled Psychology and the Good Life. And it was a class on happiness. It was a class on happiness. Now get this. 1,200 students enrolled for the class. That's one Fourth of the entire undergraduate student body at Yale. That would be like, I mean, I don't know how many, that's, that's thousands of students here enrolling in one class on happiness. Why? Why would, why would all those students enroll in a class? Because, because they're, they're, they know that they're not happy. They're not joyful. Something's wrong. They know something's wrong, and they're like, maybe this class... Will, will give me something that I know I'm looking for. And I know that's not just at Yale. I know that's here as well. I know that's true also on New Mexico State. How do I know that? Because I talk with college students a lot. And I know that even in this room, and certainly on this campus, people have the same questions, the same struggles of, first of all, how do I get joy? But then also, how do I keep it? How do I, when life like, just keeps me into the pavement. How do I keep myself, my spirits up? So this is a problem. I think it's a problem that's real on a college campus, and I think it's such a big deal. We're gonna spend a whole semester talking about it. How do we become joyful people? And I'd lump myself into that. Honestly, I can say that I'm probably the least joyful person I know. I know a lot, I know that sounds weird to say, but I as when I look into my own heart, I am not naturally a joyful person. Let me give you an example. Last, I, I tend to let my circumstances affect my mood, rather than, be, you know, like saying this is what's true, this is what's good, and no matter what happens, I'll be okay. I tend to let my circumstances affect my mood a lot, and I don't think I'm unique in that. Um, but the smallest thing goes my way, and I guess like the life gets sucked out of me like a broken window on the Death Star, it's just like just gets sucked straight out of it. You guys get that, right? Gravity, <laughs> vacuum in space. You saw, you see Star Wars, right? Okay, good. So anyways, last week, I was in the mountains in Cloudcroft. And uh, so I had a great time with our student leaders here from RUF. It was awesome. We had a great time together. I, came, I was driving back down the mountains, and I was really encouraged. And I was, I, was really, I was like, this is great. We're doing things. We're having a great time. And um, we're sleeping outside, hiking. It was great. And then we're driving back down Alamogordo. If you've been to Alamogordo or down from Cloudcroft into Alamogordo, uh, it's a steep descent. It's a really steep descent. And so we're driving down, and I tap my brakes, and Daniel was with me, and the car starts going, go, 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 go. And I was like, dang it, something's wrong with my brakes. And I knew, it was like, something's wrong with I, That one thing ruined the whole weekend for me, that something's wrong with my brakes. And so I walk in the door. I'm fuming. I'm just like, oh, something's wrong with my brakes. What's wrong with my brakes? And I walk in the door, and my wife's like, how was retreat?" how are you? And she's like, I haven't seen you for 24 hours. Give me a kiss. And I'm like, something's wrong with the brakes. Something's wrong. So I'm just fuming around. I'm like Google. Like first thing I do is I get up my computer. I'm like brakes wobbling, car shaking. What's wrong? <laughs> right then and there. Like here's a whole great weekend that we'd had that was really fun. One thing goes wrong. What happens? I'm mad. I'm joyless. I'm frustrated. Right? Now, I don't think that's just me. I think that's all of us, that when something doesn't go the way we want it to, what happens? We become, we just get, oh man, it gets us down. We get angry. We get depressed. We get mad. One thing goes wrong. So how do we get to be, how do we get to be joyful people? But more, almost as important, how do we keep true joy? How do we become people so that when life does this, we're not doing this with it? We are consistent. We stay the same. We're constant in the midst of that. Keeping real joy. I, I want to think of it as life-proof joy. How many of you guys have life-proof phone cases or have seen life-proof phone cases? That case that no matter what you do to it, your phone's fine underneath it. Ish. <laughs> yeah, I know some of you have done, you tested that thing. You were like, hey, a sledgehammer. <laughs> so anyways, that's what I want us to think about is how do we get life-proof joy Joy that is sustainable doesn't change with our circumstances, even when life hits. Well, Paul, Paul in this letter that we're going to read across the semester, he has a lot to say about that. Paul, when he's writing this, he's in prison. He's in prison as he's writing this letter to this church. And prisons 2,000 years ago, I mean, they're not pleasant places today, but they were really bad back then. They, didn't, they hadn't invented human rights yet. There was no food. There was really bad sanitation. There was really bad water. There's no due process. You are in prison. You are in bad shape. You are in bad, bad shape. And yet, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he uses the word joy more times in this letter than basically all of the other letters he writes. And that's about 12 letters put together. Joy, joy, joy. I'm rejoicing. Rejoice with me. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice as he's in prison. How does he do that? How does he have this life-proof joy that no matter what his circumstances are, where does that come from and how do we get it? Is that possible for you or me? Well, We believe in RUF that that message, that, that joy is possible and it's possible through the good news of Christianity. That the solution to getting real joy is not found in a psychology class. It's not found in, a, it's not found in anything other than what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And that's why we're going to read this, because this is that good news. This is the source for life-proof joy. So with that, I want to read just a couple of verses, and then we're going to make a couple of quick observations. Most of you should have it in front of you um, on your bulletin. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll make uh, two quick points, really quick points. So um, read with me, if you will. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in the both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Let me pray first real quick. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it is true joy. Father, we don't understand how that works. But Father, we trust that by this process, that your spirit, that your community of believers actually gives us life-proof joy. Father, give us a peek behind the curtains of even that tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So there's tons to look at in this passage. A ton in this passage. Um, But like I said, I want to make two really quick points. Two quick points. And remember, we're asking all throughout of this. How do we get true joy? How do we keep true joy? How do we get it? How do we keep it? So first of all, I want you to notice, if you look on your thing, you'll see this. I want you to notice the affection, the affection that Paul has, who's the author, for his audience, for this church. Look at verses 3, and five, three through 5. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance for you all. Always in every prayer of mine for you all with making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Then again, look at verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. What is he saying? saying? He's saying, I love you guys. I have strong affection for you guys. Now, why does he, he says he holds them in his heart. Now why would he why does he say why does he have he why does he have this affection this love for them? Well, he tells us he tells us in verse 5 look at the text he says because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel or he says else in verse 7 he says for he says for or because you are partakers with me of grace. Partakers with me of grace. Now what does he mean by that? It means this it means that the people in this church and Paul, they're united together in their cause for the Christian gospel. They're united together in that, that this church has been with Paul through thick and thin. They've stuck with him, and you can read in Acts 15, which is the story of Paul going to Philippi, that they've been with him. He gets beat up in Philippi. He gets thrown in prison in Philippi. Stuff happens, and the church, they stick with him through it all. They have, they have they've believed this, and they've, they're like, we're in with Paul. We're in with Him. So what's the point? What's the point of this? Well, the point is this, that there is great joy in the affection and the community around the Christian gospel. There is great joy in the community and the af- The community and the affection around the Christian gospel. Paul is overjoyed. He rejoices because of their common community around grace. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in just a second. But he says we are united together in grace and I'm glad for that. I rejoice because we are together in that. He's not out there by himself. He's not out there on his own, high and dry in prison. No, he says we're in this together and I'm I'm thrilled with that. I'm joyful because, I, because of the affection that we have together. And so I think here what we see is we see a backdoor picture, at, at, at joy, and it's this. It's that joy is found in common faith. Joy is found in common faith. Now, this, this should seem pretty obvious to us, and if we think about it, it is kind of obvious. Um, think about something that you love, something that you really love, uh, now, when you find something that you really love, you want to enjoy it with other people, right? You don't want to just like, oh, I love this thing. It's just mine. No, you want to share it with other people. So, for example, I loved the new Mission Impossible movie. I loved it. I loved it. I saw it three times in five days. I just kept going to it. It was so good. I don't know if you've seen it. Go see it. I know Coolio's seen it. Did you like it, Coolio? Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's really one of the best missions possible. Anyways, I loved it so much, I just kept wanting to bring people to it because I loved it so much, I wanted to share it with them. I wanted to bring them to it. So I, the last time I saw it, it, was actually with my family, and I was like, you guys have to see this movie. And so I dragged my family to it. They were kind of skeptical. They loved it. But anyways, I dragged, and, and so I, I kind of knew it was happening because I'd seen it so many times. So what ended up happening is I was watching them while they watched it. And I was, like, I was reacting with them because I was so excited that they were excited. We were, and so what was, what was happening here? I was rejoicing at their joy. I was excited that they were excited. And then as we're walking out of the theater, you know, and you're walking out of the theater, and you're like, oh, that part, that one moment. We've all done it. In a movie where you're excited about the movie you just saw, that's real joy, right? You're excited about sharing something with someone else. You're excited about what you've just done with someone else and the common bond that you have with them in it. That's, it's small joy. It's not like you know—it's not, not life-proof joy, but it's real joy. And what, what, what is it about it? It's not that you have it for yourself. It's that you get to share it with somebody else. I discovered something amazing, a movie, and I wanted to share it with my friends and family. I wanted to tell them about it. I wanted to enjoy them with it. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He says, "I have I've heard this gospel thing, this good news, and it's the best news that the world has ever seen. It's the best news that the world has ever heard, this gospel." Enjoy it with me. Be excited about it with me. I'm joyful. I rejoice because you guys have heard it. And see what happens here is there's this swirling joy as they get joyful. He gets joyful, which means they get. And there's this swirling joy of the community together around the gospel. Now, what does that mean for you right now in a chair 2,000 years later at New Mexico State University? What does that mean for you? Does it mean anything? Well, I think it means this. I think it means that there is real joy in the Christian community around the gospel. The gospel is the most joyful news that the world has ever heard. The most joyful news that the world has ever heard. It's that God loves you and that he loves me and that he moves close to you and he moves close to me because he loves us. And there is joy to be had in the community of people who are, who are processing that, who are working through that, who are massaging that into their lives. So what does that mean? How do, how do you apply that? It means this. Get yourself in a community, especially if you're a freshman. Find yourself a community that you can be joyful in, especially, and I encourage you, especially a community of faith because there's something special about the gospel. Don't do college as a lone ranger. Don't go out there and just be like, I'm not going to make friends. Find people so that you're not a statistic of loneliness. Get yourself into community. And I would encourage you um, to find one group that you can throw yourself into. Don't go from club to club to club. Find one place that you can go deep with. It's better to go a mile deep than a mile wide with people. Find that community. And I would ask you to seriously consider RUF as that community. Why? Because we're so much more than a social club. We're so much more. We're, we come together around something that we believe actually has timeless value, something that actually affects you and me and our past and our future and those who come after us and those who came before us, this giant thing called the Christian gospel. That's what we're here for. That's what unites us. We're here, we're united because of the joyful news that God loves us. Second point. Second point. Second thing I want you to notice here, I want you to notice that Paul rejoices in what he calls the completion of the gospel. The completion of the gospel. Look at verses 4 and 6. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And now look at this. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, in the original Greek language, this was written in uh, Koine Greek, in the original Greek, that was all one sentence, just one long rambling sentence that, that you could do one, run-on sentences back then and not get uh, marked points off in your English class or your Greek class, I guess. So today we break it up for clarity. Um, so what he's doing is he's got this long run-on sentence about joy, rejoicing about God's joy, uh, rejoicing, and he rejoices or he prays with joy because he's He's convinced that the gospel work, as he says, the, go- the good work begun in them will be complete. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does that actually mean? Well, we have to start with who's the he? Who is the he? He who began a good work in you. Well, that's God. From the rest of Scripture, we know that God is the source of all things. God created the world. God is the source that everything comes from, and God is definitely the source of the good work begun in them, which is salvation. God is the source of the saving work in them. But not only is He the source, He's the end of it. God starts the good work, but He also completes, He also finishes the good work. And everything in the middle, God does every piece of it. So, what is the good work? What's this good work he's talking about? Well, the good work is the work of salvation, but it's not just salvation from sin. It's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. And for our terms tonight, I want to say this. Salvation, it's salvation from anything and everything that robs us of joy. It's salvation, it's redemption, it's deliverance from anything and everything that robs, of, robs us of joy. So in that sense, the good work here. It really is the best work that we could ever hear because anything that robs you of joy, God is in the process of, from beginning to end, he's going to complete it, delivering us from that. Anything that can rob you of joy, it says God will complete that good work in the day of Christ Jesus. It means that God starts joy when he starts salvation and he finishes joy by taking away anything and everything that can rob us of joy. From start to finish, the whole process of becoming joyful, the whole process of keeping true joy, it's God's job. God is the ultimate source. God is the ultimate joy giver. He is the one who gives true joy. And in Christianity, we call that grace. Grace, it's a gift from God. It's a totally free gift. Just like some of you out where I was giving you candy today, it's a free gift. I didn't ask of any, It just said, take the candy and Go. Just take it and run. Now, if candy can give you a shot of sugar and a boost of happiness, how much more is the perfect gift of total joy that takes away every possible piece of thing that could rob you of joy? That's the best news you've ever heard. Takes away all things that rob you of joy and gives you total joy. God says tonight, he says, I can give you true joy, totally free. I'll start the work of joy in you and I'll finish it. Why? Because he loves you. Because God loves you, he wants to do that. It's a free gift given joyfully, and it produces joy. That's why Paul, even when he's in prison, he can be so joyful himself. He understands that nothing, not even prison, no hardship, nothing can rob him of joy if God is the one who starts it and God is the one who finishes this joy-giving process. Well, how does God do that? How does God start giving us joy and how does God complete giving us joy? How does he give us this free gift? Well, in another another, uh, book in the Bible, in Hebrews 12, it tells us about it. It It tells us about Jesus and it says this, in Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising its shame, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus Christ was a human being who was also God who died on a cross. Why? To give you joy. And He loved doing it because He loves you. He went to it joyfully because He loves you. He died joyfully because He wanted to give you perfect joy. God gives us joy because Jesus Christ, who is the founder of joy and the perfecter of joy, Jesus was the most joyful person on earth, was stripped of all of His joy. So that you can have his joy. He was stripped completely. He was made to feel the shame, the loneliness, the depression, the agony. He felt everything that was the opposite of joy. So that we can feel the fullest of joy. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's the best news this world could ever hear. He gives us life-proof joy because he experienced all the pain that life could pound on him. Jesus lost total joy so that you could experience Complete joy. Jesus died in joyless agony so that you can live in joyful community. And it's all free. All you have to do is believe it. That's all you have to do. And when we believe it, man, in our deepest core, we get life-proof joy. We get life-proof joy, and we're all in this process of moving towards that life-proof joy. So what are we here tonight? What, are we, what, are, what, is, what does this text tell us tonight? Well, first thing, it tells us joy starts in community. It starts in community. So find yourself community where you can find and rotate and spin and think about joy in the gospel. But then second of all, it's that God gives us joy. He gives us life-proof joy in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. Nothing that we do. We just accept it. So think about that this week. Think about the life-proof joy that God gives us. I hope you come back next week as we continue to explore how this works through this book. So I'm going to pray and then we'll sing one more song. So pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us life-proof joy. Thank you for giving us everything that we could need. Thank you for taking on yourself the total agony that we that we sometimes feel that we even deserve sometimes so that you could give us total joy. Spirit, massage that into our hearts so that we can be truly joyful people. I pray that for myself. I pray that for everyone here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.